0: podcast one and forbes present mentoring moments with denise rastari a show where women you may never meet will become your mentors join denise in her new york city apartment and tap into her conversations with successful women who are dropping the v-bombs that's right they're getting vulnerable now here's your host denise rastari
1: so welcome back to my apartment here in New York City. And sitting across from me with the biggest smile is B. Arthur. And I'm so excited. B just has like this spark and this energy and, well, we'll all see, right? <laughs> but let me tell you about her. So B is a licensed therapist and she's an entrepreneur and she's starting a therapy podcast. I really can't wait for this one. <laughs> And she says she is a think tank all by herself. She's a think tank devoted to mental health. So B is also a Columbia University alum, and she's a TEDx speaker. And now this list gets really long of where she's appeared in, so I'll, I'll just go through a couple of them. MTV, Fast Company, Entrepreneur Magazine, NPR, BuzzFeed, CNN, and more. And with the goal of transforming traditional therapy into a more affordable and approachable experience, she created something called In Your Corner, as she's holding her heart right now and making the heart sign (laughs) because it was her love. And it was an online platform that provided counseling services through video and through um, journals. So that, though in your corner led to a great post that B wrote for Forbes.com because she's also a Forbes contributor. And the headline is, Failing Forward, Lessons Learned from the End of a Startup. And one of the quotes in there will describe what the story is about. The best part about going through hell is that you come out on fire <laughs> and I can tell you that B is on fire. So Ow. we're going to talk about all of that now. in a good way, in a good way. So be welcome, honey. I'm so happy you're here. So you, Denise. I'm always happy to be with I you. I can't wait to get started and <laughs> yeah. there's so much we have to talk about. So. I know, girl. Let's go. Right. Okay. So <laughs> I'm going to tell a story about the other day I was looking through a catalog And I saw a pair of red shoes. And what struck me was they were a pair of red shoes that my mom and I were shopping. You know, my mom is 89. She'll be 90 in March. And a few months ago, we were shopping for a pair of shoes. And she saw these shoes, and they came in red, and they came in black. And so I was like, Mom, the red ones are really cute. She had her eye. I mean, she was, like, staring at those (laughs) red ones, right? I mean, she was, like, focused in. And I said, But, you know, the black ones will go with everything because she was going through what she wanted the shoes for. But she was looking at those red ones. And so I convinced her to get the black ones. And I thought just that day, I thought, you know, the tables are being turned, right? I'm sure when I was a little girl looking at the shoes with the rhinestones and the sparkles and all that, that she was probably like, no, honey, you need the little black patent Mary Jane ones to go with everything. That's so funny. But we got the black ones and she was, you know, she's very happy. But as I looked at those shoes in the catalog, you know, sometimes your mind just wanders into like, it sparks, it it sparks a thought. And I thought, you know, I'm getting my mom those red shoes for Christmas because we all should have a pair of red shoes, whether it's figuratively or literally. Right. And I thought, because even the thought, When I was thinking about the red shoes, I thought the thought of putting on a pair of red shoes, it makes me want to skip a little, right? It's a different beat. There's a different, everything right right now, like my hands are moving differently when I think about being in a pair of red shoes. Mm. And yes, and a few weeks ago, I was um, speaking at She's the First. It's an organization that I'm on the board of. And we basically have scholarships for young girls in low-income countries so they can be the first in their families Mm -hmm. to graduate from high school. Mm -hmm. And one of our honorees was Marie Forleo, and she walked up on stage. Marie's a beautiful, beautiful. She's beautiful, right? She's just beautiful and just beautiful inside and out. Great spirit. And she walks up on stage because we're honoring her as our mentor of the year. And she has on a pair of great black leather pants. I mean, she's rocking the whole thing, right? This great, like, lacy top. And red shoes. <gasps> no. Yes. Yes. So that, so I'm buying my mom the pair of red shoes. She needs them. Right. She needs red <laughs> And I think I need a pair too. I yeah. think we all need a pair of red right. shoes. That's awesome. Aww. So want to talk about the red shoes in your life?
2: Ooh, see, I love this metaphor because I always tell people, you know, people are always like, oh, I need to lose weight or I need to break up with him. And, you know, and whenever I always say that whenever you're operating from a place of need, the outcome of how you get it is very good. It's going to be very different. I always think that, um, it's better to want something than to need something because when you want it, it's joy, it's aspirational. It's kind of like a challenge. Whereas if you need something, then you're operating at a deficit, like, and you just aren't going to go after it in the same way that's going to be as meaningful. So So for me, what I want versus what I need is, um, I really, really, really want to have abs. <laughs> you want abs? Well, because I sure need you to have lose weight in quotes. Everybody has abs right. but they're underneath all my burrito blood. So, so I want abs, which is a different mindset versus I need to lose eight pounds. So there's a whole different mindset. I get excited about the prospect of having abs. I do not get excited about eating kale for lunch and dinner. So it's a
1: whole different mindset. So that's my little trick and, for motivation. I think that's great. Well, so Those are my red shoes. Now, how does that play in though, because I think when I had my startup, Alley Cats, that went under, that Mm -hmm. I've told the story many times, it was successful to get me to where I'm at today, Mm -hmm. but not successful financially. I would listen to um, tapes of people. This is, you know, 15 years ago. We may have had podcasts. podcasts. (laughs) We probably probably did have podcasts then, right? And I would listen to people and they would say, you know, the the scarcity versus the abundance mentality. And if you start thinking, I need to make money because I have to stay alive, right. mm-hmm. you won't make money. But if you start thinking, I want to make money to be able to hire 10 more people or whatever, right. but that's really hard to change that focus, right? When your company's going under Yeah, and you, you do need the money yeah. to stay alive. Right. So how do you, how do you balance that one? I want my company to keep going. I
2: want the, my company to keep serving all the people that it does. And you, you'd you be surprised. You can, you don't necessarily need money. I mean, like I've never had money like that. I mean, I like to pretend in your apartment by throwing your furs around. But I've never, <laughs> I don't have that many furs. <laughs> no, more than I do. God damn it. <laughs> but um um you'd be surprised. You get really, really creative when you want something. You know, there's, there's always a way when your heart is set on something and your heart sees something that your mine doesn't. Um, so for, yeah, I mean, my company closed as well and it was really brutal, but I definitely think that I wouldn't have even been able to start it. And, and, like I really think that and you and I have talked about this. It's the doingness of your day, how you see yourself, how you wanna imagine spending your time. Like what would it be like if you got to do exactly what you wanted to, if you went after what you wanted. And it's you'll find that most of the time it as actually material things. Those are a byproduct of stuff. But um as far as like being heart aligned, like your purpose with with, with your mission and how you get to spend your day, that's like really priceless and it's actually a privilege most people do have to focus on need unfortunately and um but yeah we're in the greatest country in the world with the greatest resources in the world at this point with technology so i'd be a fool to not take care of take
1: advantage of that right i agree and i want to talk about the doing this of your day just a quickie so our listeners can can understand. Can because catch
2: up. have yeah, been talking without y'all. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> because it was such a turning point in my life. Right. In when I was at USA Today, and I just couldn't leave the mm-hmm. golden handcuffs. Mm-hmm. It was. I mean, it was a great job, and I was having. I was. But I was done. And a consultant I was working with said, "You know, everybody." thinks that you have this great job because you do, they see you flying around, they see you doing everything, but you're not that person who is hung up on that. You're not hung up on the corner office. You're hung up on what you do every day. You're looking at what's next in life. And so you need to look at the doingness of your day. So here's an exercise that I tell everyone to do. And it sounds so stupid, but when you do it, it really is life-changing. She told me every day, write down as you're doing things, write things down and rate them. So here's an example I came over and we did our podcast I loved it and then a couple of notes why I loved it Mm -hmm. something else happened today and what a suck that was right it was noisy out people were running all over the streets I hated it because I was so distracted whatever those things were and soon you'll start to develop and see what it is that really you love doing every day what really motivates you so I want to share that with everyone and now I want to hear your mentoring moment It's a really
2: good tip. Um, Yeah, that was a really useful exercise for me actually. And and my mentoring moment came really early in my career. I something that I've noticed with other entrepreneurs is also there's this kind of restlessness that I think converts into relentlessness when you have an appropriate channel for it, which is usually our companies. And before I started my company, this is this was actually my second company. I bounced around a ton. I was a personal trainer. I worked at Bloomberg. I was in real estate. I just tried a million different careers in like the year before that I went to grad school, my first year in New York. And when I was in real estate. Um, right before I was going to grad school, I had helped launch that property and I was super involved when we first launched for at least two or three months, we were working seven days a week and I felt really loyal to it. And I felt really knowledgeable about the the company and the property. And I felt like leaving them would have been unfortunate and they weren't going to be able to do it without me. Everybody starts to get this thing about who they are to someone else, you know, and you know, (laughs) newsflash, like none of it is real. And so, I, I this is super random, but my I got a hand modeling job.
1: As you can see, I have very beautiful hands. You do have beautiful hands. I, <laughs> one day we have to talk about that. What do you do to get a hand modeling job today? But continue. <laughs> it's your all mentoring. <laughs> so you I, do have beautiful hands. Thank you. You're welcome.
2: <laughs> um, I'm also not very modest. <laughs> but um, I took a random job and I used one of my sick days. And um, I also the date the night before had a date with some guy, and he for some reason emailed me at my work email. And while I was gone. Um, he emailed me, said, Oh, it was great to see I had a ranks time last night. And for some reason my director was monitoring my emails and was like, Oh, B's not even sick. She went on a date last night. And I remember thinking, I was so loyal to these people. Like I was really considering pushing back my admittance into Columbia University because these people needed and appreciated me and respected me. And and this was just the most blatant and petty disrespect for, for no good reason that I was like, no, first of all, everybody's replaceable, you know, and I'm the only Person that's making myself irreplaceable to something that I didn't even create. And nobody's going to believe in me more than me. Nobody's going to root for me more than me. And nobody's going to have my back more than me. Um, and so you shouldn't give other people that power. And after that, you know, I never did. I, I always, and that was a really great lesson learned. I think I was like 21, 22, um, because you see it all the time people saying, well, my boyfriend needs me. That's, you know, like, yeah, he's figuring it out, but he needs me because nobody else supports him. And that's why he's such a dick to me, you know, <laughs> or like, you know, oh, my job needs me. I'm not going to take maternity leave for that long. Because what are my clients going to do without me? Um, what is your newborn child going to do without right. you? You know don't be loyal. So that was my first like aha moment as far as choosing yourself. And I've been very faithful to it ever since.
1: And that is a great lesson. I learned that when I was in my twenties also. So I was living in Pittsburgh. I moved around a bit and I went back I grew up in Pittsburgh. I went back to Pittsburgh and there was this construction company and I was going back to school at the same time. So I wanted a job that was close to school and there were all kinds of reasons anyway. So I went through a, an employment agency. And so I think, I don't know what the fee is. You know, you pay 20% yeah. of whatever the salary was, blah, blah, Blah. So, and then I wanted to quit though because I wanted to spend more time at school. And I'm into it for about two weeks. And I think you had to stay like a ten weeks, or the company lost the money that they paid the employment agency to place you. And I was not going to go to school. It's funny that we both have the same thing about Don't giving up it. school, right? Yeah. And it was my boss's, that like the big boss. His assistant said to me, "You need to leave because I'm going to tell you something. If we have a layoff here." Mm -hmm. We're not expecting it, but who knows what can happen. You're the first to go. Yeah. You're, you know, not that you're not that important. You're one of the newest we have and your job isn't critical to making the company run. So you are kind of the first to go. Yeah. And so it was that sense of, which is great to have that sense of that moral compass. Like you don't want to do something that's wrong. Right. Right. It's like, I don't want to make this company. So her advice to me was, and it paid off. She said, just go talk to him. And tell him he's not that easy to get along with. So it's not like this guy was a great, you know, like this really like friendly guy. Mm-hmm. She said, but you don't owe us anything. And I've been with right. this company for 10 years. And I think we sometimes do get that confused with yes. that we owe people some. Yes. So I want to go back, though, when you said that you're not modest. <laughs> Because I think this is great. I think this is great. I think you that's part of your spunk, right? Is
2: that <laughs> Modesty is false. That's, right. So talk to me talk about that because
1: you 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 really, you you see yourself through your own eyes. Yes. through Not through your own eyes, but through real eyes is yes. what I mean. I mean. You don't look at yourself and say, I'm six foot two and no, I go, no. I'm a basketball player. In my mind, player. I am. Right. But Naomi. that's great. Right.
2: Right. <laughs> Naomi, right. I'm like heads and shoulders <laughs> above everyone else. Everyone's always happy to see me. in my
1: mind. Right. But, okay. But, I'm going to talk about that because I think not only I can use it, but I think a lot of women and men. Lady. Can use
2: it. This is, I, so from a therapy perspective, we always look to see if there's an evolutionary uh, purpose for certain human characteristics and behavioral traits. And for example, um, I always say that modesty is false um, because you know, lions aren't modest. A lion would never be like, Oh, I'm not really the king of the oh no, I'm not the best killer in town. You know, there's no need for it. find out there's no need for it in your daily interactions and for achieving what you want to achieve. On the other hand, this doesn't mean I'm conceited. I'm very open about what I'm not good at, especially when I was an entrepreneur. I was very modest and say, I don't know what that means, you know, when I meet with people, which ends up being a power, you know, when you say, Oh, I don't know what that means. Let me explain it to you. People love to talk about what they don't know about. So that ended up being really useful for me when it came to networking and things. But as far as like um you know, I got over jealousy. Like, you know, people always say women are competitive with each other. Right around the age of 27, I got. A really bad case of the babies. I mean, all my I'm from Texas. All my like friends. The were case getting, of the babies. It was bad, girl. All my friends were getting pregnant or married or divorced or on their second, you know, because I'm from Texas and I was a really bad case and I was just finishing school. And there was, because I wanted a, a kid so bad, I would think about like what it would be like to have like a daughter or son. And once I started looking at it as like this, what would my child be like? I would want my daughter to be super hot and interesting and fun. And so now whenever I saw a girl who was really pretty, I never saw me like, oh, you know, she's better than me. No, I'd be like, yes, girl, get it. Oh, yeah, you're doing your thing, you know, because that's how it'll be when it's my daughter. And so ever since then, I've never been jealous. I know that there are people who are smarter than me. There's certainly people that are more beautiful than me that are funnier than me. I find that hard to believe. (laughs) You are. <laughs> no, I'm thank You no, not the case at all. <laughs> but I'll never be, I don't want to be anybody else. Like I could you know, I could be a rocket science, but I wouldn't be as emotionally in as I am. I, you know, I wouldn't, I could have had a richer family, but I wouldn't have had the amazing relationship that way. I'm just like really, really glad to be in my skin. Um, and, and it also comes from coming from an immigrant family. My family's from Ghana and West Africa. And both of my parents came. I'm the first one who was born in this country on both sides. And you even see it with my older brothers and sister. They just have kind of like a lower ceiling as far as their ambition. Because in Ghana, you can't just like take a paper and say, here's my LLC, I'm starting a business. It's super, you know, it's a developing nation, so it's corrupt. And so I'm very, I mean, you know, I'm a loudmouth, you know, like I'm pretty ridiculous. I'm a hardcore feminist. Like in Ghana, the best I could have been was like a cop's wife, you know, or maybe a corrupt dictator if I was lucky, you know, if I worked really, really hard. The best it.
1: I could be is a corrupt dictator. That's a whole nother story. That would have okay, been right. my, I would say that would have been my path right. in
2: parallel universe. Right. Like I'm very charming. Mm-hmm. I love blood diamonds, you know, right. <laughs> all of that, you know. And so, I'm very aware of like the opportunities that I've been afforded and, you know, I'm here talking to you. That's all through luck and being an American, being in New York and, you know, having the network I have. So, um, I'm not modest about, I'm really grateful for all the gifts and opportunities that I have. And why should I be shy about it? Like, I don't, I have the opposite
1: of imposter syndrome. I know what I can't do, but I know damn well what I can. And I th- that is so great because, as you, as you know, I have suffered from the imposter syndrome. Yeah, a lot of people. Most of my life, I don't have it anymore. Right. now, I really do look at it that none of us are really ready for a lot of oh, things, goodness. right? Yeah, and I think back so to true. what my boss Carolyn used to say all the time. You, you, when I was when I now say I wasn't ready for that job when she promoted mm. me to vice president at USA Today, and she was like, "But you were." you just didn't see it. So I always keep that in mind, that we're never ready. No, but never. We're, we're at, if, if ready is on a scale of zero to 10, and if you think you got to be at 10, you're not there yet because yeah. you're learning along the way. Yes. And so that's where the difference with, for me now is it's not the imposter syndrome, and it's not even jumping in the deep end. It's saying, this is in my wheelhouse. Yes. And I can do this. Yeah. Don't, don't ask me to swim right. a marathon because I don't know how to swim. So right. that's not in my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. But when things are in your wheelhouse. So I'm going to go now into your your company and the post and because you came out the other side and I think I think there are two things and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong one is knowing when to give up Mm. And then the other side is knowing that it's not the end. Yeah. Well, Denise, I'll tell you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> How much time do you have? <laughs> I mean, although I have a lot of great traits, like being not being modest and, and my own kind of confidence, I'm very stubborn. And so as far as knowing when it's time, uh, I didn't know any of that. I definitely held on longer than I should have. Uh, you know, you, you and I have talked about that with Cats. Um, it was love. You know, for me, I didn't start the company, I literally started my company thinking, Would Be a side hustle to pay off my student loans. Um, So the fact that we did as well as we did and it went as long as it did. Also, you know, I graduated from grad school when I was 25, and I started my company when I was 27, and I'm 33 now. So it's also the longest job I've ever had. Very, it's a big part of my identity. So it was really hard to make the decision. It's kind of like with this election. I just couldn't see it happening. You know, like I couldn't see Trump getting the nomination or the election, and I couldn't see my company closing because it was like it's more than a relationship. You go to sleep with it on your mind. You have dreams about it. You wake up and constantly on your mind. So it was hard for me to imagine a life outside of that. Um, and I always say in therapy, um, you know, people don't normally change when there's two options. People
1: change when there's no options. And, and that's exactly what happened to can, me. Can we stop at that for a second? People don't change when there's two options. Yes. They stop when there's no options. Mm-hmm.
2: So that's why, if you want your man to act right, don't give him an ultimatum, girl. You have to leave. You know, like right. it really has to be like, oh, well, I guess I gotta adjust to this now. You know, and that's exactly what happened. You know, I kept it. We after we ran out of money in 2015, I kept it going for a good 11 months with with no money, without paying myself, without paying my rent even, and um, and it finally was like, you know, I couldn't borrow another cent. You know, I couldn't make another payroll, it, and I and I just had to physically stop it. You know, and so and it was one of the best things that happened because. I was beyond burned out and I was really unhappy. Um, but, and and it didn't change anything. I'm still known for in your corner. Um, you know, we ended up selling, things off to, you know, former competitors. I still consult for, uh, you know, the people that we helped, we still helped. So, and I wouldn't have that, um, appreciation for the work that I did while I was still burning the candle at both ends and just like beating my head against the wall running that company. Cause you know, that's what it's like, you know, right, <laughs> it's, really it's like a grind constantly. Um, so yeah. So as far as when to stop, I think when it doesn't bring you joy, um, anymore and, and it's hard to define because I think for entrepreneurs, happiness, isn't like a thing. <laughs> It's not like a given, you know. It's more like I think satisfied. I think the work that we do brings us satisfaction on a soul level because we're connected to it and we have a purpose, and it's good to have a place to funnel all this energy that a lot excess energy in some cases that a lot of us had. So the company satisfied me because it was of me and it was doing all these things that we never thought it could do, but. I'd certainly missed weddings. You know, my family was really worried. You know, I had a lot of unhealthy relationships. Friendships fell apart, things like that. So um, it wasn't good for me. And my brother was the one who finally was just kind of like, you know, we're all really proud of you. And, you know, you did your thing, but the world needs you at your best and, and you're not anymore. And so, yeah, so a lot of things had to happen. A lot of people had to convince me to do it. But um, yeah, so we did it. So yeah, I don't know what the good timing is, but just know when you're not at your best anymore.
1: And I, and I said, as you and I talked about, months ago it's also just knowing that there is you do come out the other side and you yeah. come out stronger and i know those yes. sound like words and it's like right. yeah when you're going through it it's like when you're going through anything because right. there is a grieving process i think right oh yeah you're the expert on that one but, oh, that's but nice. I, I think with experience <laughs> there is a grieving process oh, yeah, you're really, giving up something that you hope that would, yeah. so if you had one i know this is hard to narrow it down to one you could do two or three but a couple pieces of advice for women and men who are ending something, whether it's a relationship, Mm, how
2: do you end? Here's the best way to do it because so much of it, it, it's kind of like me. It's kind of like a resistance to change. You know, you just can't see any other life for yourself. Um, and you also wonder what are you going to tell people? You know, like, this is me, this is my marriage, this is my company. What am I going to tell? Who am I? If I'm not this, um, People don't care. <laughs> that is for sure. That is for nobody sure. Nobody cares. <laughs> I need a shirt that says nobody cares. Nobody cares. They, they like as long as you're eating. I think my dad still doesn't know. I think he thinks my company had something to do with computers. You know, like I still don't think he knows what it does. You know, but he's or like, or you're a corrupt politician, right. He's town. like, oh yeah, good for you. You really shut down those villagers' protests. Right. <laughs> he has no idea what I did. You know, but like he cared about me. The people who matter will still love you. You know, like even if you divorce someone, everybody that was perfect for you, if it's not working for you, nobody will be disappointed in you. And, um, and you know, life goes on. Like the world is so big. There's more options than the one that you've created for yourself and you're sticking to, you know, sometimes it's so much harder to let go than it is to, um, you know, just keep going and staying what you're doing, but nothing changes if nothing changes. So don't be worried about other people, are going to think some people might might be upset with you, but again, choose yourself. All that matters is you and like you being at your best.
1: You have some great tweets in here. Nothing matters. if Nothing matters. You've got some
2: great quotes. Yeah. Nothing changes. If nothing changes, you'll just be stuck, you know? And, and whenever it starts to feel like that, that's the universe telling you it's time to grow up. It's time to evolve. And you can never evolve
1: without like chaos, unfortunately. (laughs) And, and speaking of changing, we're going to do, I'm done with that. Oh, so okay. I guess we're done with this conversation. Well, no, we're going to pick it back up. <laughs> no, but, I was hoping right. for the segue. <laughs> <laughs> you were hoping for a segue, <laughs> but that doesn't happen. No segue. <laughs> so we're going to do, I'm done with that. Yeah. I'll start what I'm done with. So I'm done with trying to make sense out of a senseless situation. Mm-hmm. And the best example and where I learned that from is when I was adopting my daughter and uh, Mm I told the story about having the fall through and I was devastated. Mm -hmm. I'm at the hospital. The birth mother gave birth Uh, the baby had some minor stomach problems, nothing major, but so she was in the hospital for two days and the birth mother decides to keep the baby. It's legal. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, you can do it. It happens a lot. Yeah, it does. But the sad part was, and it wasn't that, I want the baby. It was what's going to happen to this poor child because the mother was going to go on welfare. She was 17 and her mom was on welfare and her sisters were on welfare. Mm. So it was that cycle of poverty just playing into itself, right? The mom, the sisters were all saying, we'll help you get welfare. That'll be one more check in our family. And that was the part that was just eating at you. It was like, whether we're the parents of this child or not, that, I mean, obviously that was in my head. I'm not saying that that didn't play, but there was this bigger piece that was really upsetting me is how can you do this to this child right right? and so I called my therapist who is my therapist and that's (laughs) That's what I like to hear and I called her from the hospital and I'm sobbing and I'm like I can't believe this and I'm going through you know why would she do this this poor kid and she said okay we're gonna get through this and I'm going to help you We're, we're gonna make it through this But you have to quit trying to make sense out of a senseless situation Mm. because that will get you nowhere. So whenever you're looking at things and not that, and she says, what you have to do now is take action to get what you want, right? Don't waste your time trying to figure out yes. the sense. There's a difference between learning from mistakes so that she wasn't saying, you know, don't learn, but there were no mistakes here. It right. was something to me that seemed so senseless that I just couldn't wrap my arms around it. She's like, you're never going to wrap your arms around it. Yeah. So quit, do something positive and take action. And then through that, having that mindset is how I found my daughter who we were just meant to be. So, yeah. Um, so it turned out to be a great story.
2: Yeah, it is a great story. And it and that's so true. I mean, like sometimes we spend so much time, we call it analysis paralysis, just trying to figure something out. And just like your therapist said, it just keeps you stuck and it isn't beneficial to anybody. And, you know, you it's presenting you from moving on, which is an action, you know, so all it takes is another action to, you know, keep kind of that momentum going. But yeah, it's a good one. And what are you done with? You know... I am done with, this election has taught me that I am done with trying to convince people because I already know very well from therapy if somebody doesn't want to do something that they don't want to do or they don't want to hear, it doesn't matter if you have the cure for cancer in your hands, you're not going to convince them um, because emotions are so much stronger than logic. So I am done with trying to convince people about what's good for them or what's good for the country or you know what, how they should feel. Who am I to tell anybody anything? I'm an expert on B. Arthur, but that's pretty much it. So yeah, I'm done with trying Convince people to do this if they want to deny reality. I've done it before too, so everybody learns on their own time. So,
1: and that's a that is a great one. But how do you then go from? So you're a therapist. So Mm -hmm. where does that line come in? Not convincing people when you see people who are going to do something that you're just sitting there saying. Oh my God.
2: Oh my God. It happens all the time. This is a trick that people don't know about therapists. Therapists don't actually tell you what to do. Exactly. That They're, I do know. Yeah. But most people don't. Right. People come in and they throw themselves on, and you're on their couch. are like, just tell me what to do. And you're like, I can't do that. One, we'll get sued. You know, right. if you come in and you say, I want to quit my job, my boss is making me miserable. And I say, well, quit. And you quit. And then you're poor and you hate, you could sue me. You know, if you say, if I say get divorced and your husband, like something bad happens, you could sue me. So it's We actually don't give advice and the truth is most people aren't ready to receive advice. The reason they come to a therapist, their friends are telling them the exact same things that you are because they've heard the same cues. Like, you don't like this, do something about it, but they're not ready to hear it. You know, so I personally feel like everybody already has everything they need. They, are already, they already know what they need to know and their actions and the reactions that they're getting out in society are telling them that. Um, what therapy does is we just act as a mirror, you know, and we just keep repeating back and reframing what you're telling me until you can hear it for yourself, until it like sets and crystallizes and makes sense to you so that you can do something about it. I always say you already have everything you need. I just give you glasses.
1: And so what advice do you have? Let's do like a quick little round of oh, like so really quick advice, advice. I was about that I know but I have you here I have you like a free <laughs> therapy session maybe this is my free therapy session <laughs> yeah okay is it smart to hire your friends?
2: No, it's, I literally have clients that are going through this right now because bias comes into play and you can't make objective decisions and you get more caught up in like personal relationships and taking sides than you are for the common goal that the company should have. So I'm strongly against uh, working with your friends unless they came through work and y'all hadn't came up with the vision together. But I've seen that go wrong lots and lots of times. I mean, think about all the families that have gotten messed up over family businesses, even family property, it gets really sticky and it's hard to tell what's real.
1: I think too, when when I, I speak from my own experience, You also, that hug, hug, kiss, kiss at the end of the relationship. Yeah, You know, when I worked at USA Today, we didn't end our conversations. Love you. right? And when you end up hiring your friends and you're in a startup, you have that. And you do want to care about each other. You're like a little family mm-hmm. right when you're starting. But when you have that friendship, it just gets really complicated. You know way too much about them yes, and you start buying it. And so it's that, oh, I can't say anything to yes. her or him. They have a family. They need the insurance. And right. not that you don't want to be caring, right? but it overrides your business decisions. Exactly. I've gotten into more problems with hiring friends. So I am definitely separate.
2: I always say make smart decisions, not hard decisions.
1: That's a good one, too. You're full of them. <laughs> full of something. <laughs> okay, so what's one, full of something, what's one question you get a lot from women? Ooh,
2: uh, hmm, that's a good question. Um, a lot of, I, I'm nosy by nature, which is why I'm a good therapist. So it's either about um, what to do about a relationship. Um, I know a question I get asked a lot about women, which I think is more interesting, is what's up with the confidence crisis? And and it's while it's true that, yes, men do seem to have more confidence, Confidence than women. I actually think that men are more sensitive than, than women. Um, women at least are in the process or you know, are used to being in the process of or habit, I should say, of talking to their friends about their problems, getting feedback. And so when something drastic happens, they're able to recover more quickly because they could talk about it and release it. The reason guys like don't get over a breakup or like devastated if someone cheats on them is because they don't talk to anybody about it and they keep it very deep inside. My boyfriend, for example, is British, and good lord, like mm-hmm. it's like pulling teeth sometimes, and, and he even says like the English motto is um, repress, (laughs) oppress, success. You know, (laughs) so it's very, like, guys really like to keep things way below. So as far as the confidence crisis, I don't necessarily agree that there's a confidence crisis. I think that women get more signals that they don't get taken seriously, which is very damaging. Um, And yeah, that's something only you can give to yourself. You have to believe in yourself. I definitely went through that from being in the tech scene, which is primarily white and male.
1: Um, So yeah.
2: When I was younger.
1: My mom. I was going through a breakup. You know, I was in my twenties, and I called my mom and my dad, and I'm crying. You know, and I'm like, my confidence is so low. Mm-hmm. And my they're on two different phones. This is in the olden days. We had like two different uh, house. Big yeah. house <laughs> you had two different phones. They're both on the line with me at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. And my dad, my mom's like, honey, give her confidence, and my dad's like, I wish I could. I don't know what to do on how to do that, oh, yeah. but it, it does have to come from you. Yes. So be. This is really exciting because for our takeaway segment, we have your friend Craig Montori joining us. Hey. So I said to so I said hello, to me, hello, Craig. I said to B that I said I'm getting emails and tweets from guys talking about the podcast and I wanted to bring a guy on to do the takeaways to see what a guy is thinking about our <laughs> conversation. I can't wait, Craig, <laughs> and to see what they're thinking. B said, you need to meet my friend Craig. He's smart, he's thoughtful. And now, Craig, we're going to meet you, but first I want to thank TrueCar for supporting mentoring moments. So over the last few weeks I've had a lot of fun learning about TrueCar as I've been searching for that car for my daughter. And one of the things that I really have learned is that TrueCar is growing. First, there's something about TrueCar a lot of people don't know and that's that using TrueCar can also help you buy a used car. And then there are over 700,000 pre-owned vehicles available from TrueCar certified dealers nationwide and that number has grown a lot. And so has the number of certified dealers nationwide. Now there are over 13,000 true car certified dealers. I and mean, Those are human beings you can actually talk to to answer your questions so you can enjoy and have a quick and easy buying experience. And you can get upfront pricing information and see what other people paid for the car so you know what a fair price is and you can feel confident. And, and I love doing ands, you get discounts off the list price for used cars and a better buying experience through our True Car Certified Dealer Network. So when you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Clark
0: Howard here. I have a lot of empowerment for you and your wallet available on my podcast that's available at Podcast One, iTunes, or at Clark.com. I want you to save money big time. That's my job. That's my promise. Hey, it's Adam Carolla. The greatest time of the year is back. College basketball. That's right. March Madness, March Mania, and March Money. Join in on everyone's favorite game, the Bracket Challenge Contest at betonline.ag sign up for a free account receive your 50 percent welcome bonus and make your picks all the early lines for all the games are now available so don't miss out on any of the action for the next three weeks at betonline.ag the exclusive partner at podcast one sports net Mentoring Moments. Mentoring Moments. Takeaway.
1: So, Craig, welcome. And before we get started, I'm going to introduce you. Your Twitter profile says that you're a lover of politics, disruptive technologies, and systems of people. Mm -hmm. And you're the CEO of Global EIR. And that stands for Entrepreneurship in Residence Programs. Global mm-hmm. EIR is a nonprofit network of entrepreneurs, investors, and universities dedicated to solving founders' immigration problems. And you are in the Bay Area, experiencing some beautiful weather. Mm-hmm. Do I have it right? Did I get that? That's
3: that's right. That's right. Though so, I I was laughing a little bit with B talking about being a comparing what she did to rocket science because as a former rocket scientist, it's, <laughs> it's really not that glam anyway.
1: And so, but you are a
3: former rocket scientist. That was what my academic training was in, yes.
1: I didn't know that. No mm-hmm. way. Me either. You need to put that on your Twitter feed. Yeah, put it, no. put it on your Twitter profile.
3: Many, many moons ago.
1: <laughs> that is great. So listening, so you've been very great listening to B&I. I, I think your life may have changed from this moment <laughs> on. It may never be the same. <laughs> hmm mm-hmm. <laughs> And saying, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are, so, what are some of your takeaways or thoughts or questions? Anything you have for us? Because I think this is really—I'm really excited about this to hear it through a guy's lens, right? To see—are you like sitting there thinking, yes, 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 or are you like thinking, okay, they are really crazy? Another planet. <laughs> Another planet, right?
3: Well, first of all, what I, what I realized is the next time B and I meet, it's not going to be at Max Brenner
2: again. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be at a dive somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> somewhere to
3: help develop those abs.
1: <laughs>
3: Chocolate gives you abs. <laughs> oh, it's true. It's true. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the main thing I, I really resonated with was the the mentoring moment, the the nobody's irreplaceable. I work a lot. And sometimes when I do get convinced to take a break, bless my business partner for that, it leads me to take that step back that I'm not involved in the day-to-day as much and things don't fall apart. So I look at that mm. and say everybody is replaceable. It is, it is a foundational bedrock concept that, that resonated during your talk. And especially just the the circumstances be that you described, you know, you were working seven days a week. Is that you had this, you know, band of brothers uh, that you had your mm. own sense of identity being tied up with the company, and then to have that reaction from them, and it resonated with a, a similar experience I had uh, a couple of years older than you were at the time. In I had prepared. For years in learning this one-issue space, it was still immigration. And in recognition for some of the work I had done, I got placed with a very, very well-funded organization that was committed to the, the larger goal of fixing these immigration problems for not just startups, but so many people. Mm-hmm. And eventually it came down to choosing between my community and this organization and I, in choosing the community, was devastated, thought that I had given up my opportunity, these past years of work, to have the impact I was hoping to have. I moved on. You know, I was on fire, yes, but uh, it took a little bit. But mm-hmm. uh, those were the, I learned very similar lessons. So it, you know, it resonated across the gender divide and saying, these are something. Uh, and Denise, you as well, with your story, uh, so many of us experience. And I, I think it would be worse for me, and perhaps for you as well, to not have experienced that, to mm-hmm. go through life thinking that it mm-hmm. all rests on my shoulders. And yes, but that that also complements with that sense you're describing about entrepreneurship—that the the restlessness, when channeled, leads to relentlessness. And I I don't think I would have that restlessness. And potentially the, the relentlessness, too, unless I realized this is my – every moment is a chance to have an impact. And mm-hmm. even if I'm not irreplaceable, it's still a moment I need to recognize to, to have that focus and to put it in, to, to be relentless in, in trying to have an impact. Um, So it was, there there was a lot of what you were talking about, and I, and I will agree with Denise. There so many tweetable moments. There, there were so many just <laughs> – those those little tidbits there. I'm like, I'm gonna I'm gonna do well being the the wise man at a bar one day. Just drop in a, a little bit of wisdom. <laughs> and everyone's gonna sit there and nod thoughtfully and say,
1: Yeah, you know? Good point. And they'll be and they'll be tweeting everything you say because it'll be those tweetable moments. Yeah. Greg, so, yeah. is there anything that when we were talking that you thought, Boy, I wanna know more about that? I really like that line. Uh, you have
3: everything you need. I just give you glasses in, in being a, a therapist, and I, I think maybe it's the training, maybe it's the, the, the framework you approach to listening to people, but I think we'd all be better off in terms of uh, providing mentorship, providing support for our friends in developing those glasses and that
1: mm. uh,
3: it should be – the, the line in the meme, school – I'm worried about filing taxes. Worry not. The mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, mm. and if we had, it's saying that's that our education system really doesn't prepare us for the real world. And mm-hmm. I get that with that one line that mm. there's so much we need to be just good people in this world, and and we're all kind of figuring it out on the fly, not even with someone teaching us, but just. Broken friendships, broken relationships, uh, successes and failures, and you just try and be better every day. Um, so I especially resonated with the part on the confidence crisis where guys tend to bottle things up. I, I see it as being very true. And uh, to expand on on something, your line about luck being born in America, being the first in your family, seeing that divide as you mm-hmm. grew up. Uh, maybe you could expand more on that. It's so core to my passion in, in working with immigrant founders to be the, the first one on the other side of the divide as an American and being so close to family members who weren't. Maybe you have another story along those lines that doesn't lead to someone being a corrupt dictator.
2: what's wrong with being a corrupt? Oh, (laughs) oh, the word corrupt and dictator. I see. I I hear it now. Um, Yeah, well, Craig, that's why when Craig and I first met, I loved what he did because I think like immigration is something I'm very passionate about um, because my parents, you know, especially when you think about like black issues, my family's from Ghana where everybody's black. And so, you know, we were raised with the idea that if something doesn't go your way or something doesn't work out, it's not because you're black, you know, it's because you didn't work hard enough. So having that, instilled instilled in me very early, just made it about no excuses. And also, you know, my, both of my parents had to do their degrees over because my dad had his doctorate in Ghana and in 1980s, Texas, they were like, if you don't get that out of my face and go to a real school, you know, and they never complained. They just did it again, you know? And so there was no, I can't do this because of this. I can't do this because they won't let me like, I saw what's actually possible when you don't complain, put your head down and work. Um, And both of my parents had to start over. My mom, was a teacher in Ghana and had her master's. And when she came here, she was like on security cameras. She was working in security for Marriott and she ended up starting, um, personal care homes in Houston, Texas. And at our peak, we had 14 homes and one adult treatment center, um, for assisted living. And, you know, and she had no experience in it and we didn't, she didn't, have a client for six months, but she never gave up. And that actually brought us a lot closer when I started my company, because I'd be like, everything just keeps going wrong. I don't understand. And she's like, that's how it is. I'm like, that wasn't how it was for you and mom, you and daddy. And she was like, do you remember that time when we disappeared for like two weeks and you had to go stay with Auntie Sophia? She's like, do you remember that time we went to Costco? and We told you, you could have all, all the sunny delight you wanted. It was like those little moments where she was like, no, this is the reality of what building something from nothing is. It's meant to be hard. And that is the stuff that make, gives you the muscle to power through it. And, you know, just really knowing that it's not this neat, tied in a bow American dream story that they sell. And that if you expect it to be hard, it won't be as hard um, when you go through it um, was just invaluable. So, So I really wish that diversity wasn't so roundly rejected in this election because, um, I mean, the power and the insights that you have when you come from a different culture and a different mindset of just by any means necessary – that's what they told me when I got into YC. They said, you're by any means necessary kind of girl. And you know nothing is impossible. Miracles can and do happen when you are just laser-focused on something and you believe in it and you believe in yourself. So um, that's why I love people from other first-generation Americans. It's something very close to my heart. So that's why I love what you're doing with Global ER to bring more people and, and make our country better and make more people's realities a miracle. Thank you.
3: Yeah, and in the in the frame of... Need versus want. Do you think? Because mm-hmm. I love that frame. That mm-hmm. that if you're if you need something, you're operating at a deficit, and you're trying to get to that baseline.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, do you think that's that's different for as as a first generation immigrant, where what you mm-hmm. consider your baseline of needing versus what you're able to want and dream about.
2: That's so interesting because I see this with a lot of other first-generation kids. Your parents are like, you tell your parents, I want to follow my bliss. I, you know, I want to live my dream. They're like, you know what my dream when I was when I was growing up? Eating food, you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> like having clean water. You know, they, I think immigrant parents have a really hard time when their kids don't want to be a lawyer or a doctor or an engineer, and they're like, I'm going to be an actress. I mean, Aziz Ansari nails it in Master of None. There's just no such thing as like wanting anything outside of the very basics because that alone takes so much work and sacrifice. So um, I think it's really interesting when when what you want is security and stability. And, you know, luckily in the second generation, you can build on the security and stability that your parents have provided for you. So yeah, for immigrants, it's, it's not the same. You, you won't see somebody who just wants to, you know, be the next Britney Spears. Um, actually, I guess you will, you know, but it takes a lot more convincing than, you know, the original Britney Spears for, you know, to tell your parents and all these other people. I mean, we're very communal cultures, you know, as they say, a lot of the reason that, um, people of color don't have as much wealth, is because if there's excess money, we give it to each other, you know, and that's certainly been true in my case. Like, you know, I've definitely had money taken from 401ks and. Lots of things to help me when I needed to pay my rent or needed to make a payroll, and that's something that um, communities of color not struggle with, but is very real to us. Like if it if it comes between like investing in an index fund or you know paying off my parents' mortgage, I'm going to pay off my parents' mortgage every time. And maybe it's not a long-term goal, but you're certainly right to the point of need versus want for somebody from a lack mindset is very different.
1: And something you were just saying, B, that made me think about. The when you were talking about your parents and what you want in life, and mm. this is different than being an immigrant. But I was just talking to a woman yesterday who was really upset because her kids aren't where she wants them mm-hmm. to be. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that is something that's that's really big right now. Whether mm. you're, and I think it's very different for if you're an immigrant than if you you know you were raised here mm-hmm. and and born here and you had all the opportunities. But I see that going on a lot across all the spectrums of young people are doing things that they want to do, which are right for them, but Mm -hmm. we as parents don't see it as right for them. And yeah, I'm a parent, so my advice is from my own being, but I think that we have to really allow them to be who they want to be. And, Mm -hmm. and go with it as long as they're not doing something harmful to themselves. And as parents, we have to get over ourselves. Mm -hmm. So as you were saying that, and I was thinking about the therapy part of it and thinking that I think all parents are, you know, go through that piece of it, that Mm. your kids may not be what you dreamt they would be. right? Right. But that's okay that's okay that it is not. it's
2: all okay yeah they come they're of you they they came through you they're not like right, of right you know
1: they're different they're humans and on this note we have to say bye for the podcast because Aww. our time is up I know thank you both so so much I'm sitting next to B. we're sharing our earbuds mm. so we're like hugging and that's not a hard thing to do <laughs> Craig thank you wish you were here sending you
2: a virtual hug Craig alrighty <laughs>
3: thank <gotcha>. you
1: <laughs> yep.
3: thank you so much for the opportunity
1: thank you so much so glad to have you see you later bud Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Well, B always takes me into a new level of thinking and laughing and just enjoying life. So to make sure you're getting mentoring moments, the moment it's live, which is every Wednesday, please subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review. It's really easy. So please do it and check out my show notes on Forbes.com. I would love to hear your thoughts. Like, what are the red shoes in your life? And what are you hung up on? And would you rather be happy or satisfied? I'd really love to hear your thoughts. Even though B said nobody cares, in this case, we really do care. So here's where you can find me. I'm always on Twitter, at Denise Rastari, And here's a little extra something for the holiday season. When you buy stuff through my Amazon banner on podcastone.com, A percentage of the purchase goes directly to support the podcast at no extra cost to you. So here's how you do it. It's really simple. You go to podcastone.com, click on Killer Deals link banner, click on Mentoring Moments logo, and you're there. It's simple and it's a win-win. So until next week, keep sharing your stories because your stories matter.
0: Download new episodes of Mentoring Moments every Wednesday at PodcastOne.com, Forbes.com, the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe at iTunes. Hey, it's Adam Carolla. The greatest time of the year is back. College basketball, that's right. March Madness, March Mania, and March Money. Join in on everyone's favorite game, the Bracket Challenge Contest at betonline.ag. Sign up for a free account, receive your 50% welcome bonus, and make your picks. All the early lines for all the games are now available, so don't miss out on any of the action for the next three weeks at betonline.ag, the exclusive partner at Podcast One Sports Net.
1: I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. London police have arrested Julian Assange on extradition charges to the United States, as well as for violating his bail. Assange is accused of publishing classified documents through WikiLeaks. In 2010, he told Sky News he was worried about what the U.S. might do to him.
0: The United States recently has shown that its institutions seem to be failing. Uh, They are failing to follow the rule of law. And with dealing with a superpower that does not appear to be following following the rule of law is a serious business.
1: He also said in 2010 the U.S. officials had threatened him and those associated with him.
0: There has been many calls by senior political figures uh, in the United States, uh, including elected ones in the Senate, uh, for my execution, uh, the kidnapping of my staff.
1: Edward Snowden, the former security contractor who leaked classified information about U.S. surveillance programs, says the arrest of Assange is a blow to media freedom. I'm Rita Foley.